This podcast is from the Rand Corporation, a nonprofit institution that helps improve policy and decision making through research and analysis. For more Rand analysis, reports, and commentary on issues at the forefront of today's policy debate, visit www.rand.org. Hello, everybody. Welcome. Uh, I'm Wynne Burkle. I'm director of the Rand Corporation's Office of Congressional Relations. And it's my pleasure to welcome you here today to this Rand briefing on correctional education. How effective is it, and what can we do to make it better? Let's talk for a moment about the briefing. About 2 million adults are incarcerated in the U.S. prisons, and each uh, year more than 700,000 leave federal and state prisons and return to communities. Unfortunately, within three years, about 40% of those folks will be reincarcerated. So one reason for this is that ex-offenders generally don't have the knowledge, training, and skills to support a successful return to communities. So how effective or cost-effective is correctional education in helping to fill that gap? Today, Lois Davis will present results from a comprehensive RAND study on correctional education that was conducted for the Bureau of Justice Assistance in the U.S. Department of Justice and funded under the Second Chance Act of 2007. Uh, Specifically, uh, Davis will present evidence that correctional education programs are effective and recommendations about how policymakers like you can help correctional educators and officials deliver the best education and vocational training that can lead to positive re-entry outcomes. Um, I know that uh, Director O'Donnell of the Bureau of Justice Assistance uh, is on her way here from another meeting. We'll ask her to say just a few words um, after the presentation um, and the Q&A. Our presenter today, uh, Lois Davis, is a senior policy researcher at the RAND Corporation and a professor at the Party RAND Graduate School. Uh, Davis currently is leading a national study on prison closings and other responses of state correctional systems to fiscal pressures. She's also conducting an evaluation of a demonstration project of post-secondary education for incarcerated uh, adults. Uh, And Davis just completed this comprehensive assessment of correctional education in the United States for incarcerated adults and juveniles. Let me turn it over to Lois. Lois, take it away. Good afternoon. And I wanted to start off by saying that we were very fortunate in having a tremendous project officer for this uh, particular study. Gary Dennis, unfortunately, was not able to be here today, but we really um, benefited greatly from his leadership. I also want to thank John Linton, who is in the audience today from the Department of Education. It really was truly a joint effort by these two that really facilitated our work. So with that in mind, I'm going to go ahead and start the briefing. This is the results from the final report to the Attorney General, but it also has implications for other agencies. Um, So as Wynne summarized, when we think about recidivism, we all know it's a significant problem in the United States. What I mean by recidivism is such things as re-arrest, re-incarceration, re-offending. And as was summarized in the introduction, in the United States, over two million um, adults are incarcerated in federal state prisons annually. And each year, about 700,000 return to local communities. But our high reoffending rate, the high, rather the, our high reincarceration rate, within three years, 40% returned to prison either because they committed new crimes or violated the terms of their release, is a key factor that we're trying to address. And when we think about what are the factors that contribute to recidivism um, and, and impede the ability of ex-offenders to be successful in um, reintegrating back into communities, one key factor, of course, is the lack of both education skills and experience to support a successful return to their communities. And one way we think about correctional education is that it's an attempt 
on the back end. In some ways, for many of these individuals, we failed them on the front end in terms of the educational attainment to make up for that on the back end, that is, to address those deficits they have both in education and vocational skills. Thus, when we think about um, the field of correctional education, it's also important to keep in mind that, that there's a lot of, that at the time of this study, we were also going through a recession. And as, throughout the course of this study, we heard from a number of state correctional education directors, as well as a number of media reports and other anecdotal information about the impact on correctional education programs, reducing budgets, but at the same time, you have educators struggling to figure out how could they modify their models of instruction to still maintain effectiveness while still reducing costs. And so that's one of the key stories that you're going to hear today about what that impact has been. As Director O'Donnell stated, this was a study that was funded under the Second Chance. This is really was the first time under the Second Chance Act that a dedicated pot of funding was dedicated towards correctional education. We did the research, but we also partnered with the Correctional Education Association, and that was an important partnership because that provided us access to the field, to educators, to practitioners, to really understand on the ground what the issues were that they were grappling with during this time. So given this context about we're in a resource-constrained environment, we want to understand what, how effective is correctional education, here are the key questions that we addressed in the study and that I'm going to be talking to you about today. So one is kind of giving you a, a feel for what the current landscape of correctional education looks like and what are some of the emerging trends that are going to impact the field moving forward. I'm also going to talk about what do we know about the effectiveness of correctional education for both incarcerated adults and juveniles. And then lastly, I'm going to talk about some recommendations that we have for how can we, as a, as a country, move the field forward. So to give you a preview of some of the key findings, um, when we look at the impact of the recession, certainly there was a, a substantial decrease in correctional education budgets. And as I'll talk about, that also meant a contraction in the capacity of academic programs within the correctional setting. Two emerging trends that we want to pay attention to is the growing role of computer technology, information technology in this field, as well as the implementation of the 2014 GED. Our results show that for adults, correctional education indeed is, is effective in reducing recidivism and it, and it also is cost effective. But when it comes to juveniles, we know a lot less about the effectiveness of, of programs in an institutional setting. And so clearly here the story is, is how do we improve the evidence base and move things forward? And lastly, again, we'll put forth a series of recommendations. So let's turn to the first topic, which has to do with what do we know about the current landscape of correctional education. What we did was we conducted a survey of state correctional education directors in all 50 states, and we were fortunate to have a very high response rate. 46 out of 50 states participated in the survey. I'm going to show you the results, but also overall, but also I'm going to talk about how they differ between small, medium, and large states. And by that, I mean small, medium, large in terms of the size of their prison population. So let's first talk about the effect of the recession on academic programs. What happened between 2009 and 2012 was that overall state correction education directors experienced about a 6% decrease in their correction education budget. But this was particularly true in those states with the larger prison populations, that is, 
um, states with, medi with medium-sized prison populations, they reported a 20% decrease in their correctional education budgets. States with large prison populations reported a 10% decrease in their budgets. What this meant was a dramatic contraction in the capacity of academic programs. To get, give you a feel for what I mean here is, on average, states reported about a 24% decrease in the number of academic teachers who were employees during this period. It also led to a reduction in the number of students, and this reduction was particularly again felt in the medium and large states. Now the story for vocational programs is, is a little bit different. They did not, um, they fared better in terms of, of, in terms of the recession as compared to academic programs. What we found is that overall states reported about a 1% increase in the number of students who are participating in these programs, but, it, but indeed this is largely driven by what was going on in terms of the sm small states. So states with smaller prison populations, they, they had an increase of 7% in the number of students. But if you look at what's going on in the medium and large states, they're reporting decreases in the number of students. It's also a mixed story in terms of we see that there's a modest increase in the number of vocational instructors. Again, this tends to be driven primarily by the small and medium states. But across all size categories, they all reported that they reduced the number of courses, course offerings that they had in vocational ed. So again, a contraction in the system. Now, when we think about the role of computer technology, we all recognize that in our society, information technology is playing an increasingly important role. And for those coming out of prison, it's important for them to have basic computer skills. You can't apply for a job if, you don't, if you're not able to understand how to use a computer to go online. If you want to apply for benefits, you often do it online. And for basic clerical skills in the workplace, you need computer skills. State correction education directors clearly recognize the importance of computer skills for this population. To give an example, 24 state directors said that they offered Microsoft Office certification as part of their vocational programs. And indeed, when we asked them about the use of computers in correction education programs, they all reported that it was common. For example, 39 states said that they had uh, desktop computers. A smaller percentage of states had um, laptop computers. But the story still is mixed when we think about what does that really translate in terms of instruction and kind of the, what, what individuals are learning. So for example, we find that the use of internet-based instruction is still very limited in the correctional setting. And indeed, when we ask states about access, student access to the internet, only 16 states said that they use simulated internet programs. That is, simulated internet programs that address the security concerns that corrections officials may have. But overall, um, most states reported that students have no access to the internet. So again, computer technology, information technology is important in this field, but it's still a mixed story about how it's translating within the classroom. I want to talk about the 2014 GED. Um, this was a top of a conversation in numerous workshops and meetings with correctional education directors and educators. As many of you know, the 2014 GED, GED exam is a much more rigorous exam. It's aligned with the Common Core State Standards, but it also moves from a pencil and paper mode of testing to computer-based testing. So those two things represent important challenges to this particular field. Now, for many inmates, the GED is, is the primary way by which they achieve 
high school equivalency um, certificates. And in almost all the surveys that we, um, all the states that we surveyed, they all saw that tracking GD completion rates was an important metric of, of their correctional education programs. Yet only 31 states reported that they plan to implement the 2014 GED exam. Other states are looking at other high school equivalency exams. And of those 31 states, um, a number of them reported that they were very concerned about the length of time it would take to prepare students for the more rigorous exam, but also to develop the computer skills they would need to take the time test. And indeed, 16 states reported that they were concerned that it might have a negative effect on GED completion rates. This was particularly true for states that were uh, large and medium-sized, so states that had the bulk of the prison population. So it suggests this is a trend that will, will merit close, close monitoring and thinking about what its implications are. So now I'd like to step back and turn now to the evidence we have about the effectiveness of correction education for both adults and juveniles. And I'm first going to talk about adults. <clears throat> So the way that we went about assessing the effectiveness of correctional education programs is we first undertook a systematic review of the published and gray literature in this field, studies that were published between 1980 to 2011. Um, in order for a study to, be, to, merit, to make it into our study, it had to be a primary study or an evaluation of a program. It had to have a comparison group, so we're looking at, we want to compare um, inmate students that received correctional education versus those that did not. And it also had to have some of the outcomes of interest that we were focusing on, and I'll talk about that in a second. We then took the data from the systematic review and used it in a meta-analysis, which is a, a statistical technique to synthesize across a number of studies the results that you, you derive a single estimate for the effect of a particular program related to a specific outcome. And in this case, we also wanted to rate the quality of the evidence. That is, um, this is a field where the, the range of studies that you see, a lot of them are not well designed. And so when we think about what's the strength of the evidence in terms of, of the association that we see in terms of, say, correction education and a particular outcome, it varies. So what we did is we used two commonly used metrics um, in the field, one's from the Department of Education, the What Works Clearinghouse, rating scheme as well as the Maryland Scientific Method Scale to rate for each study the quality of the research design and take that into account in our meta-analysis. The outcomes we focused on is our recidivism, post-release employment, and reading and math scores. And I'm going to talk about the results for recidivism and post-release employment. So when we think about recidivism here, if you look across studies, they define recidivism in very different ways. But one way to help you understand what these results mean is that most of the studies, or many of the studies rather, use reincarceration as their measure of recidivism. So what we found is that those who participate in correction education programs had a 13 percentage point reduction in their probability of recidivating compared to those that did not. What was interesting was that this was true regardless of the type of program whether it was ABE, adult basic education, or remedial education, whether it was a program that had to do with high school or GED completion, whether it was a post-secondary education or a vocational education programs, they all showed reductions in recidivism. When we look at employment, we find that those that participate in correction education programs 
had a 13% increase in their odds of obtaining post-release employment. And this was particularly true if they had participated in vocational training programs. However, here there was only one study of high quality. So that means that, that, that the evidence is suggestive, but we can't say definitively that indeed correction education is associated with um, improvements in employment outcomes. Now one of the questions we've received throughout this, I mentioned the impact of the recession and the question that we got from many educators is they needed to make the case about the cost effectiveness of their programs and they wanted information on this in this area. Now doing a formal cost benefit analysis was not within our um, original charge but what we did do was an, a, a, a basic cost comparison where we looked at the direct cost of correction education programs and the direct cost of incarceration. And we also use the national estimate of three-year reincarceration rates to do this, this um, um, estimation. And what I'm going to present here is really for a hypothetical pool of 100 inmates. So we know from our meta-analysis that, that correction education programs reduce um, um, by 13 percentage points the probability of recidivating. So for this hypothetical pool of 100 inmates, for those that participate in correctional education, we estimated that their three-year reincarceration costs were 3.28 million. For those that did not um, participate in correctional education, we estimated that their reincarceration costs were 3.25 million. Now this results in about a $970,000 cost savings for this 100 um, inmates alone. The cost for the 100 inmates of correctional education program is about 175,000. So what this translate then is that for every dollar that we spend on correctional education programs, there's about a $5 savings in reincarceration costs. And these results are conservative because we're only looking at, we're doing a basic comparison of the direct costs. We're not taking into account the indirect costs associated um, with reincarceration. Thus, that this likely is, is an, or an underestimate or a very conservative estimate of the broader effect of correction education in this field. Now let's talk about juveniles. <clears throat> Here we're, we have to think about it a little bit differently. For, for juveniles, of course, um, juvenile has a right to a public education. So all juveniles will have some kind of educational component um, as part of their program. And thus, we needed a different way to think about how do we evaluate correction education programs in this context. And so the comparison is not whether or not someone receives an educational program. It's rather comparing different interventions, so program one to program two, to see what the balance of the evidence is in terms of favoring different types of programs over another type of program. So here what we see in this, in this more um, nascent literature is that there's a lot of variation in programs, comparisons and outcomes in the literature. Um, the eligible studies are those with comparison groups. Um, of the 16 studies that really made it into the study, and again, these are 16, the eight, excuse me, the 18 eligible studies were those that were educational programs that provided in a correctional setting. So not out in the community, but in a correctional setting. They're grouped into six different categories, such as looking at remedial education, personalized instruction, GED instruction, for example. But what we find is that the evidence is reasonable for a couple of the programs that have been evaluated. READ 180 is a program that some of you may have heard of, the Department of Florida 
um, Avon uh, Park Youth Academy is another example. Those all had very strong research um, evidence to support the effectiveness, both in improvement in reading as well as improvement, high, improving high school completion rates and employment. However, in, in addition, Read 180 was substantiated by other studies outside of the correctional education field that had, that had rigorous research designs. But for the other programs, the evidence is much more meager. And so clearly, this is an area that we need a lot more um, evidence in order to understand what truly is effective in this area. And also, it's a field that's very much ripe for large-scale randomized trials, as well as eva rigorous evaluations of natural experiments. So let me now move to our recommendations. And I want to um, emphasize this slide in particular, because the key message I'd like you to take away from today is that the debate is no longer about whether or not correctional education is effective or whether it's cost effective. We really should be focusing rather on where are the gaps in our knowledge that are needed to inform policymaking, as well as where are the opportunities to move the field forward. Clearly, the biggest gaps are limitations in the quality of evidence base. Now, the studies that we looked at, they, the information they provide us about the types of programs, the quality of instruction, the types of instruction provided, the dosage provided, was all very minimal. So all we're able to say is, indeed, correctional education programs are effective, for example, in reducing recidivism. But if you're a policymaker or a corrections official or a state educator, and you're trying to make trade-offs um, in terms of where do you cut your budgets? You know, we're, we've been asked questions like, does dosage matter? If I reduce the, the amount of time that an individual spends in a vocational training program from two months to four weeks, does that matter? Those are the kinds of questions that we don't know the answer to. The evidence just is not there. So for example, what models of instruction and a delivery are, are most effective? Uh, what dosage is associated with effective programs and how does it vary? as well as who benefits most from different types of programs. Those are the kinds of questions that, that policymakers need answers to in order to make these informed decisions. And thus, that is probably the largest area that there's a need to improve the evidence base. There's a couple of ways to do that. One is to leverage federal grant mechanisms, state grant mechanisms, as well as foundation funding to try to encourage more rigorous and more detailed evaluations of these programs. But combined with that is the need for establishing a study registry of these programs, someplace that if you're a state correction education director, you can go to that website and find out, gee, I'm, I'm thinking of reducing dosage by X amount. Where is that cut point? And what, what does the evidence tell me about that? Those are the kinds of information people need. This was, the study registry was something that Gerald Gaze called for a couple years ago, but it still remains very relevant today. The implementation of the 2014 GED exam, it's, um, there's clearly a need for some technical assistance to the states in implementing it and to educators. Um, states are grappling with how do I prepare instructors in order to be prepared to both, um, prepare student both for computer-based testing to have, for example, one of the debates we had is how do you know if someone is computer ready to take that exam? The other one is, is just the um, preparing to teach the more rigorous exam, the Common Core State Standards to a population that, that has these educational deficits and what, what does that mean for educators? Clearly there's a, there's a need to modern implementation, how does it affect the correctional field as we move forward, but also in the long term there's a need to assess what is going to be the impact both on GED completion rates 
as well as some of the long-term implications in terms of effects on, on individuals' um, ability to attain high school equivalency diplomas to prepare them for vocational training programs, to prepare them for, for employment. There are a number of trends that are affecting this field. And moving forward, it's important to think about how do we think about these trends. One of them is, again, the use of computer technology in this field to grow in importance. One of the areas is then is think about how do we um, assess what are good effective programs and, and, and innovative strategies utilizing this technology. The workforce is changing in terms of the skills requirement that is needed. And, and states are struggling to figure out what should they be teaching in their vocational education programs. So clearly some kind of summit, both with the private industry as well as with both state and federal levels, is critical to help map out a strategy that states can, can build upon for their region to think about what are the programs that are going to really help someone earn a living wage as well as prepare them with the skills to work in industries that are accessible to them. And lastly, when we did this study, it was, it was it was enlightening to realize how outdated the information was on what's going on in the correctional education in the United States. Um, very, very little data out there. So this survey that we did really provides a baseline for moving forward. Um, the idea of establishing a national correctional education survey that's, that's implemented, say, biennially, what it does is allows us to progress, to assess progress in these different areas, but it also allows us to assess the impact of different policies. So with that, I'd like to conclude, and, and um, I'm, we're happy to answer questions, but I'm also going to want to acknowledge that my two co-authors are here in the room with me, Jennifer Steele and Robert Bozek. So as questions arise, and I think that they would be particularly well-suited to answering and ask them to stand up. Thank you. This presentation is provided as a public service by the RAND Corporation. Visit www.rand.org to learn more about these issues and to explore RAND's free online library of more than 10,000 policy reports and commentaries.